Hello, hello, and welcome to the Reformed Singaporean Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Reform Singaporean Podcast, where I am Chris, the Reform Singaporean, the podcast title refers to. Now, if you have been following with us so far in this series called What is the Gospel? You will know that we have covered quite a number of pretty complex and pretty deep topics of the Christian faith. And if you have kept up with us thus far, I really thank you. I really thank you that perhaps in some way, these few episodes have really served to edify your faith. Perhaps you have learned something new in these episodes and I'm really glad, I'm really glad that I have been receiving feedback from some of you that this series has been really uh, beneficial to you thus far and praise God for that really. Now for today we'll be talking about yet another central aspect of the Christian faith. This doctrine that we'll be covering today is what I would call one of, the, one of the most fundamental doctrines that we need to hold on to, to be considered orthodox, to be considered truly of uh, sound doctrine. Now, which doctrine is this, you might ask? Well, if you have already seen the title, you would already know the answer to that. And that is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, there's a lot of history to this doctrine. And the name... Justification by faith alone was coined, you could say, by uh, German reformer Martin Luther. And this came out of the Protestant Reformation. Now, I won't get too much into church history as that's not really the main focus here. But just a little bit of background is that in October 31st, 1517, this guy uh, called Martin Luther saw all the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church because for hundreds and hundreds of years, at that point of time, uh, the church has really been drenched in false teaching. The church has really deviated from the authority of scripture, deviated from holding to the Bible alone for all of life and godliness, and they started to subscribe to man-made doctrines. So this guy, Martin Luther, wanted to bring the church back, wanted to bring Christianity back to the Bible alone. And you might have heard of the term sola scriptura, which stands for scripture alone, that the Christian, that the church only needs to look to the Bible for all guidance, for all wisdom, for all sanctification. Because it is in the Bible that God has given us everything that we need for this life and everything in it. Now, what does the doctrine of justification talk about? Okay. It links very heavily to some of the things that I mentioned in previous episodes, particularly when I was talking about the work of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ in what we call double imputation. If you recall what that means, simply put, 
uh, cross-reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that you know, Jesus, when he was on the cross, and God the Father punished him, unleashed his wrath upon him, it was as if God saw Jesus to be one of us. It was as if Jesus had our sin. It was as if Jesus lived the life that we live. And thus he died the death we should have died. But to turn that around, we who believe in the finished work of Christ, when we believe in Jesus Christ alone and not of any good works of our own, we then have his righteousness. We get imputed. Christ's righteousness gets accredited to our account. So when we believe in Christ, we now have peace with God. It is a current reality. And it will continue to be that reality all the way till we meet our God face to face on Judgment Day. When God sees us, He sees us as if we lived Jesus' life. And we know that we could never live a life like Jesus. Jesus was perfect. What does God see when He sees Jesus? Perfection. And how will God see us, us who believe in Jesus' finished work? He will see perfection. Now that is a glorious truth that we have to embrace. Now the doctrine of justification uh, goes a little bit deeper than that. And we'll look at what scripture has to say. So for today's episode, I'll be focusing on some vital parts of scripture that really emphasize on this doctrine that a Christian is justified, a Christian is made right with God on the basis of faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing to do with what we do, nothing to do with our good works, but it's all to the praise of God's glory. Okay, All to the praise of God's glorious grace. Now, first place I would like to turn us to is from the book of Philippians. Okay, now, the book of Philippians was written by this man called Paul. And Paul is what we call an apostle, a sent messenger, a personally chosen uh, servant of Christ. Now, Paul, some background for those of us who might not be familiar with him. Paul was raised a Jew, was raised to have a whole load of knowledge about the Old Testament. Now, Paul knew his Old Testament superbly well. And a large part of his life was dedicated to hunting down Christians and killing them. Because during those days, Paul saw Christians as the ultimate heretics. He didn't see Jesus as the promised Messiah. He he didn't believe the Messiah had already come. And he spent a large part of his life killing and persecuting the church of Christ. But then, one day, if you read the book of Acts, it records Paul's experience as he was on the road to Damascus, on the road to killing, finding Christians to kill, he had an encounter with the risen Christ. And my friends, that one encounter changed everything. After he met the risen Christ, he repented of all his previous wrongdoings and his whole life mission changed. It took a complete 180. Paul uh, then became one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. And he is responsible for writing most of our New Testament that we read and study today. So the book of Philippians was one of those many letters written by Paul. And, this was, and it was written while he was in prison to the church of Philippi, which was one of the, church, one of the churches he helped to plant. 
Now, I'd like to bring our focus to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now, a little bit of context. Paul here is describing his credentials. Okay, Paul is just trying to say that if man could ever boast, if a man could ever boast in his own achievements, then look at me. Okay, look at me. Now, before Paul was referring to himself, Paul was also warning the church about what he called the dogs. Okay, chapter 3, verse 2. He said, look out for the dogs. Look for those who uh, mutilate the flesh. Okay, those who, who place an emphasis on circumcision. Uh, some r- ritual, some physical ritual that some people held on to back then to say that to be, to be a true Christian, you have to be circumcised. But Paul was saying, look out for those people. Stay away from them. Because actually we, those who are in Christ, we are the circumcision. Those who worship by the Spirit of God and those who put no confidence in the flesh. We don't have any confidence in ourselves. Okay, so then Paul says, he gives all his credentials. If I were to have confidence in myself, then he lists out all that whole list. Uh, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was a persecutor of the church. I was so zealous. And if I was under the law, I would probably be better off than many people, than most people. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I counted all these things as rubbish. Okay? Now, verse I want to bring our focus to verses 8 and 9. He says, uh, For Christ's sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And verse 9, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now what does all of that mean? It simply means that Paul rests in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Paul knows of his identity. Okay? Remember, in other books, in First in Timothy, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Paul acknowledges his own sin. Paul knows the holiness of God and the sinfulness of his own heart. So if he were to boast, if being right with God were dependent on him, on what he did, on what Paul did, he wouldn't have any confidence at all to say that, you know, I have Christ, that I am right with God. But here, here Paul can say that to live is Christ, to die is gain. That if I were to die, I would be gaining. It would be a benefit. He can only say that, Paul can only have the confidence to say that because he has a righteousness that does not come from himself but a righteousness from God, an external righteousness that comes by faith. Now that, is, that links so much to the doctrine of imputation. Now some of us, uh, I'm afraid, many Christians today might look at terms like justification and imputation and you'll think of, wow, those terms are so up there. Those, those terms are only probably reserved for those geniuses, those intellectuals. You know, it's very ivory tower discussion. But really, my friends, it's as relevant as it gets because, my friends, the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of imputation 
it will matter when you're on your deathbed. For those people on their deathbeds, what would they be thinking about? They will be thinking about, am I right with God? Am I going to heaven after I die? They'll be thinking about their eternal consequence. They'll be thinking about their eternal destination. And my friends, that's why the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of double imputation matters to you no matter who you are. And it applies so much to our lives more than we can imagine. My friends, theology should not be seen as just some mere academic uh, activity, but it should be seen as something that is life-changing. Because knowing these things, my friends, knowing these things, these truths that come from the Bible, it ought and it will change everything. It will change how we view the world. It will change how we view the Christian faith. And it will change how we live for Jesus. Vitally important. And this is one of the many passages in Scripture that Paul is so strong in the fact, in stating that the Christian is made right with God through a righteousness that is not of their own, a righteousness that does not come from the law, but it comes through Christ by faith. Okay. If that's clear, turn with me to Romans, the book of Romans, another letter written by Paul the church, to the church of Rome. Romans chapter 4. Okay, Romans chapter 4. Again, context. Context is so important. Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. For those of us who might or might not be familiar, Paul is laying down the groundwork for the state of mankind. Humanity is doomed. Humanity is totally depraved, totally sinful, and enemies of God. No one is good. No, not one. No one desires God. But if you heard my previous, my recent episodes, later on in chapter 3, Paul lays down a summary of the gospel. He says that, We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation uh, by His blood to be received by faith. Okay, remember that? Now, chapter 3, verse 27, he says, What becomes of our boasting? Can we even boast? No, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. Verse 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So one is justified, made right with God, apart from the works of the law. Okay? Now, let's come to chapter 4. With all of that in mind, with all that context in mind, chapter 4, Paul talks about Abraham. Abraham, this character in the Old Testament, how was he made right with God? Now, Chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, let's skip to verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was faith counted to Abraham? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but rather it was before he was circumcised. 
he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Now, in a nutshell, what that means is that Abraham, he was justified, he was counted righteous, he had peace with God before any works, before he did anything okay, that normal mankind would warrant as something deserving of God's favor. Abraham didn't do anything. Okay? It was only that his faith in Jesus was what God counted for as righteousness. Now, I hope so far, this has been pretty clear. Justification by faith simply means that a Christian is made right with God, is counted righteous in God's eyes because of his faith in God, because his faith in the finished work of Christ on his behalf. Okay, now, uh, pause a little and reflect on what we have just heard. Now, while these are glorious truths, and I pray that we really see the beauty of what these truths really mean and that these truths really transform our lives. Okay, a lot of us think about peace with God and a lot of Christians today think that peace with God is just this weird, warm, fuzzy feeling that we feel. Okay, but my friends, feelings are subjective. My friends, feelings fade away. Feelings are but for a moment. My friends, we're talking about objective lasting joy, objective lasting peace with God. It, because I know that, my friends, there are days that we will struggle, that there are days that we will feel like we are so far from God. But my friends, being made right with God, having peace, being justified is an objective reality. Okay, And we must let what we learn from Scripture ground us in that objective reality because our feelings will deceive us. Our feelings will think, make us think that we are not actually right with God. But my friends, those of us who believe in Christ, we are already made righteous. How do we know that? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. You see how all of this links together? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Right after... No, Abraham, uh, Paul talked about Abraham. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's beautiful. But my friends, there's a reason why this doctrine is considered controversial to some. It is because there are some of us, especially in Singapore, who really can't shake, can't accept the fact, can't accept the teaching that we can ever be made right with God by faith alone. Some uh, people might object to that and say, what? Isn't that too easy? You know, you, you mean it doesn't matter how bad of a person I've been in the past, you mean God can forgive everything? Just by faith in Christ, I can have peace with God? My friends, the answer to that is, yes! <laughs> yes, we can! That is the beauty of Christianity. That's why Christianity is so liberating. It's so freeing because my salvation does not rest on what I do because as if I had any power to make myself good in God's eyes. 
But no, my faith rests on the finished work of Jesus and it is with His righteousness that I stand right, righteous and right before God and not myself. It's not because of me, but it's because of Jesus. Of course, we will always have objections. Some people who might know a little bit of their Bible but disagree with this teaching. Okay, for example, the Roman Catholics, they believe that faith alone is not enough. We must be saved also by our works. Some people who believe in this as well are the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. These are cults. Roman Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, these are all false teachings, false versions of Christianity. Now, where would they go to to try and refute the teaching of justification by faith alone? A lot of them will just shoot from the top of their mouth. Uh, you know, faith without works is dead. Okay, for those of us who might be familiar, familiar with that, yes, that is in the Bible. Faith without works is dead. But many a times when you ask them, where is that from? They will not be able to answer you. Okay, a lot of these people who disagree, they will just only remember the phrase, faith without works is dead. But my friends, remember, context, context, context. We can quote whatever we want from the Bible, but if it's just one verse in isolation, if it's just one verse on its own, and if it is inconsistent with the verses before it and the verses after, then we are just making ourselves look foolish. Okay? And that the argument, not only will we make ourselves look foolish, but we will make the argument silly and invalid. Now, where is that phrase from? Faith without works is dead. James chapter 2. Okay, now let's turn over there. Yeah, I will be addressing two objections. The first objection will be this. Now, does James contradict Paul? Does J- is James writing in contrast to Paul? Okay, that will be the first objection I will address in this episode. And the second one, very quickly, I will address the other extreme of the, uh, the other extreme end of the spectrum, where some people might say, okay, if I'm forgiven, then I can continue living however I want, right? I can continue just sinning because... Grace, right? God's grace. God has really forgiven me. So, you know, I can just live however I want and at the end of the day, maybe I say sorry and God will forgive me. I mean, of course, I hope my friends, you will will agree with me when I say that that is an absurd statement. Okay? That is a totally absurd statement. Okay, let's address the first objection. James chapter 2. Turn with me over there very quickly, please. Now, the book of James, first of all, we must realize that the Bible... Okay, the Holy Bible, it contains many different styles of writing. So we have historical narratives, such as the book of Genesis, Exodus, uh, books like that, they are historical narratives where they, uh, it is one straight stream of historical stories okay, that tell us what happened in this event, what happened in this timeline, and what happened with these characters, historical narrative. Another kind of literature that we can find in the Bible is what we call wisdom literature. Okay? We have wisdom literature such as uh, the book of Proverbs, sometimes the book of Psalms, sometimes, uh, sometimes even the book of Ecclesiastes, and even the book of James. Okay, James is an example of wisdom literature. How we ought to apply what we know. Okay, how we ought to live out what we believe. Okay, and that's what the book of James is primarily about. How do I know this? Okay, one such example, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay? James is all about wisdom. It's all about how we should apply wisdom in the Christian life. How we should live out what we know about the Christian, uh, the Christian religion. In James chapter 1, uh, James also talks about worthless religion. He says that uh, if, and if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So my friends, Christianity is a religion. To all those people who say that Christianity is not a religion but a relationship, my friends, you're just being silly. Okay? Christianity is both a religion and a relationship, but it is a religion. Okay? And James is just giving an example of what worthless religion is. Now come, let's go to chapter 2, where that famous phrase is found. Now, uh, chapter 2 verse okay, seven, uh, 17, sorry. Chapter 2 verse 17. It says that, no, so, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, that's where they are quoting from. Again, what is the background? Or what are some of the implications? Some of the implications, if indeed James is talking about some works-based salvation, that somehow we are justified by both faith and works, then why does James in a few verses earlier, in verse 10 of chapter 2, says that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Okay? <laughs> James is saying that Whoever tries to keep the whole law of God but fails in one point, it'll be as if he fails all of it. <laughs> My friends, that does not sound very hopeful for the person who believes that works depend uh, works will determine our salvation, right? I mean, how can I work hard to keep the law when it only needs me to fail in one area and that will be enough to do me? You know, that doesn't really make sense. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Okay? Now, the verses before. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, okay, note the key word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
That is a passage that many Roman Catholics especially would love to go to to try and refute the idea that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Because they're like, ah, see, it says in the verse we're not justified by faith alone. You see, ha, all you Protestants trying to deviate from the word of God, ha. Now, my friends, think with me, consider with me. Back to Romans chapter 4, what was the timeline that Paul was referring to? Remember, was Abraham justified before or after circumcision? The answer is before. Okay, before Abraham had done anything, he was already counted righteous. He was already justified. Now, here, when it, in James, when it talks about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, did that come before or after his circumcision? It came after. And where was the law of Moses revealed to the people of God? Long, long after uh, Abraham offered Isaac to God. Now, the timeline here is very important. And what I want us to realize, my friends, please, uh, do not just take my word for it. Please test what I'm saying with the consistency and the testimony of all of Scripture. What I'm trying to say here is that Paul and James, they're not even writing about the same thing. Paul and James are not contradicting each other. In fact, they are addressing two different areas altogether, two different parts of the Christian life altogether. What Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 4 is how someone is justified. It's, it's a vertical relationship. How is someone right with God? How is someone made right with God? And what James is talking about is how that faith is lived out. Is your faith a mere profession? Okay. Is someone saved just because they say they have faith? Or is that faith a living one? Is that faith justified by what the person lives out? Now, Jesus, what Jesus does, what the Holy Spirit does is it brings us from death to life. It brings us from spiritual deadness to life in Christ. And of course, it needs to look alive. <laughs> and that's what James is trying to say. James is trying to say that it's not a mere profession of faith, but a possession of faith in Christ that will show in works that will prove that one is indeed a Christian, that one is indeed someone with a faith that is alive. Again, James is also addressing what makes your faith different from the demons. He says, even the demons believe that God is one and they shudder. Okay, in terms of theology, in terms of doctrine, knowledge, I'm sure the demons and Satan have a far better and clearer understanding of who God is than us. But they do not believe in Jesus. They do not have that possession of faith in Jesus. Okay? Now, what makes us different from them? Do we also just merely have a theological grounding? Do we merely know things about God? Do we merely even know these doctrines? Or are we transformed by them? Okay? A real Christian would not only be a walking systematic theology, but a real Christian will be one who shows good works, whose, his, whose theology will translate into how he lives his life. Okay? As Christians, we are meant to be changed people. How are we to be salt and light of the world if we are behaving just like the world? Okay? So, two different areas altogether, and the timeline is so important. Paul is talking about when Abraham was justified, and that was before circumcision, before Isaac, before the law came about. And in James' case, it is how a Christian should walk in that so-called profession of faith. 
It is not enough to merely say that you believe in Christ, but it is more important so that you're actually living in accordance with what Christ teaches in his word. Okay, I hope I was clear on that. So James and Paul, they are both part of the Bible and they complement one another perfectly. No way do they contradict each other and in no way are they against each other. Okay, they're just talking about two separate topics altogether. Now, uh, I, I hope again, I hope again, uh, so far what I said has been clear and helpful and that it really makes us um, really take a breath of relief <laughs> to know that it is God who secures our salvation. It is God who saves us and it is God who will ensure that we are saved and that we are kept all the way to the end. A lot of Christians, they love to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Okay, what does that say? It says that for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. Okay, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. But it is not finished. Okay, <laughs> a lot of Christians like to stop there. But in the next verse, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to walk in them, uh, those good works that he has prepared beforehand. Okay, God created us. Yes, he saves us from our sin. He saves us from death into life so that we may walk in newness of life. Yes, my friends, we have to walk. Okay, we, there's, some, there's an active, uh, there's something that we need to actively be doing. Okay, my friend, that is not salvation by works, but it is rather no, we do good things. We do things to please God because we have already been saved. And my friends, that is the consistent testimony of the teaching of justification by faith in all of the scriptures. Okay, I could say more, but for now, I'll leave it as that. Now, to quickly address the second objection to justification by faith alone is what we call hypergrace. Some people believe in this doctrine called hypergrace or the more complicated term, antinomianism. Antinomianism simply means against the law, or no law. Okay, what these people say, actually, <laughs> I don't even have to say it. Paul addresses it in the book of Romans. And I really love, again, the, the coherence of Paul's argument in the book of Romans. So, so far, we're going through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? And guess what? In chapter 6, Paul anticipates what some might say. Okay. Now, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, that's Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Paul says that, or he anticipates the objection from some that will say that, oh, since I'm already forgiven, I can just live however I want, right? But Paul says, no, verse 2, by no means. Or another, in other translations, he says, God forbid. <laughs> he God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, uh, Douglas Wilson puts, uh, a man called Douglas Wilson, he puts it this way. In, in the gospel, Christ died 
so that you and your sins might die with Him. Christ was buried so that you and your sins might be buried with Him. And Christ was raised so that you and not your sins, you and not your sins, will be raised with Him. Okay, my friends, we are raised into newness of life. We are to walk into a newness of life. This is to put on the old self, to hate the sin we once loved, and to love the God we once hated. We're supposed to desire the things that God desires, love the thing that God loves, and to live all of our lives in accordance with what pleases God. Because what God is doing in us as Christians, as a new creation, He is molding us day by day into His image, into the image of Christ. So my friends, there's no such thing as a so-called Christian who says, I have faith in Jesus, but you know, He still looks just like the world, smells like the world, talks like the world, behaves like the world. There's no such thing as a so-called carnal Christian, a Christian that professes faith, but yet still lives his life in reckless sin, in reckless living. Just you know, living the way he wants, he doesn't look any different from his old life, and you know, he looks just like the world. There's no such thing. All who are in Christ are new creatures. All who have been raised in Christ are new beings. Okay? We have a new identity. We are no longer slaves of the devil, we are slaves to Christ. Okay, that's also what Paul writes about in Romans. We are slaves to righteousness. We serve the Lord Christ. We no longer serve our own lords. We no longer serve ourselves. We no longer serve the ways of the world. We no longer serve the devil. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so my friends, I hope that uh, this episode has been very helpful. And I think that uh, pretty much about summarizes and covers the gist of what justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, is all about. That it is Christ alone who saves us, nothing else. We, don't, we do not need anything else. In Christ, we are closer to God than we will ever be. And in Christ, we have ultimate, true, lasting, objective peace with God. My friends, that is beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful truth. Christian, historically affirmed, orthodox truth. And my friends, this is not just some ivory tower intellectual game. My friends, this is reality. This is truth, teaching, doctrine that will shape how we live. Because understanding these things is crucial as to how we live the Christian life. And my friends, may we strive to be different. May we strive to be different from the world. May we strive to be different from so-called nominal Christianity, fake Christianity. May our faith not be just a mere profession, but may we be people who truly possess faith, authentic faith in Jesus. Okay, may others come to do the same through a true knowledge and understanding of the gospel. So, my friends, till next time, we'll be talking a little bit more about the topic of repentance. Okay, what does that look like? And why is it so important in the Christian life? Okay, we are, we are only about I think we have only about two episodes left in this series. Okay, we're coming to a close as to really what is the gospel? What are the crux, crucial, central doctrines of the Christian faith? Uh, and I think all that's left is what repentance is. And the, for the last episode, look forward to that as well. I'm excited for, it, for that as well. Of course, I'm excited to talk about repentance, but I'm also just as excited to talk about the last one, which is called the kingdom of God. And why is that so relevant and so important to the gospel? Why is it even called the gospel of the kingdom, as the Bible puts it? 
Okay, so look forward as we come, as we approach the last two episodes of this topical series. Till then, God bless.